Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you this morning. Pastor Mike, Pastor Tara, thank you so much for your ministry to our young people. That was a great, great video presentation. The youth did a great job communicating also. Uh, we appreciate them. Uh, just thank you so much for um, that casting that vision of what God is doing. Amen. You know, as I'm, I'm watching that, I'm thinking, you know, we, we want to see God do great things. We're praying for revival. But you know what we have to keep in mind? Do you remember when Elijah was praying for rain and he sent, he sent his, his servant to go look and what did he say? He brought back, he said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. And you know what? Elijah at that point declared there's a great abundance of rain coming. He declared that there was going to be the fulfillment of what he was praying for, even though it was just a cloud, a small cloud the size of a fist in the heavens. So what was he saying? He was saying God has begun to fulfill his word. So what we see, what God is doing, that is, I was sensing in my spirit, it's, it's a cloud the size of a man's hand. The very revival we're praying for, the very things we're hoping and believing in, God is beginning to do. Can you say amen? God is beginning to get, bring it to pass, and we need to be encouraged by that. We need to say, yes, I see it. It's beginning to happen. It hasn't come to fruition yet, but it's the beginning, and we need to be hopeful. We need to be faith-filled. We need to be encouraged. We need to begin to speak life in Jesus' name. Can you say hallelujah? Turn to the person next to you. Say, God's beginning to do great things. God's beginning to do great things. Amen. Amen. We speak it and we believe it in Jesus' name. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Exodus chapter 15? You will see in your chair or next to your chair, there is a communion cup with a, a wafer. And we will um, remember the Lord. We will remember the greatest sacrifice that ever took place on planet Earth, the cross. And uh, my message is to lead into that, to lead up to that, to make um, that time significant because I believe it truly is significant. The problem with any ritual, something you do over and over again, it's so easy to lose the um, significance of it, the importance of it. We can take it for granted and we don't want to take for granted the cross. So I want to look at Exodus 15, and I want to, I've entitled my message, Experiencing Bitter Waters. I know none of you have experienced bitter waters in your life, but hold on, you will, if you haven't. We're either coming through bitter waters, or we're in bitter waters, or we're going into bitter waters. Pick your poise, I mean, choose your medicine. Exodus 15, Exodus 15, and I also want you to put your finger in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians, don't fully understand the significance of the Old Testament in the messages, in the teachings, in the truths that, that um, go through 39 chapters from Genesis to Malachi. It makes up more, uh, two-thirds of a Bible and some people wonder and uh, question, why, what, what value does the Old Testament have? That was the Old Testament. That was thousands of years ago. And, and aren't some of the laws and the ceremonial uh, stipulations um, done away with? Yes, but the spiritual lessons, the truths are not done away with. Amen. 
Can you say amen? So I want to read how many of you are in Exodus 15? All right, verses 22 to 25. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah, which means bitter. And the people did what they did best. The people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. Then he made a statue and an ordinance for them. And there, and there, God tested them. Now I want you to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and just to kind of give you a little perspective from Paul as he's writing in the New Testament, he's writing to New Testament Christians of which you and I are a part of, right? We're New Testament, we're Christians. Uh, the church started on the day of Pentecost and has continued uh, over 2,000 years and will culminate when Jesus comes back. And so look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud all passed through the sea. What sea was that? The Red Sea. All were baptized with Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So what is Paul doing? Paul is, is bringing them back into the history of Israel and he's saying, listen, there were some spiritual lessons, there were some things that our forefathers went through that still um, speak to us today. And he says, but in verse five, but with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our what? Now these things, what we're just reading in Exodus 15 and throughout the Old Testament, these things became our examples, what? That, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. <clears throat> as, is, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as, what? Some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Verse 10, nor murmur or complain as some of them also murmured and were destroyed by the destroyer. Again, look at this, verse 11. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for what? Our admonition or our instruction of whom the ends of the age have come. So what am I trying to say? I'm trying to tie in the critical nature, the um, strategic importance of the Old Testament, the lessons that we learn and the things that we see there, they are for our learning, our instruction, and for our spiritual development. They are examples to us. 
God worked a certain way in the Old Testament. He works uh, in the New Testament, but he still works according to the principles and the truths that are established in the scriptures. In this passage of scripture in, in Exodus chapter 15, here we read of, of, of the children of Israel. God had brought them out of Egypt and brought them through the Red Sea. Now, in Exodus 14 and 15, one of the greatest miracles in the Old Testament is recorded, and that is God parting the Red Sea. It is one of the most strategic, and theologians say that it is the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. It is, it, is the, it is paramount to the resurrection of the New Testament. What I mean by that is it is the most powerful um, um, miracle in the Old Testament, God bringing his people out of bondage, out of Egypt, and bringing them through the Red Sea. This is amazing. Deuteronomy 26 says that with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, God brought the children of Israel through the Red Sea, mightily and powerfully. If you look at the verses before, we see Miriam and the worship team singing the praises of God. Look at what they sang. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown in the sea. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 15, it says Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. It was just like the worship service we just had. I mean, powerful, glorious, mighty, awesome. And then, well, well let me just say, you would think, right, after this, that God's people would just kind of coast. Just coast into the promised land. You know, this is a mighty deliverance. This is a mighty miracle. Now they're going to just coast into the promised land. It seemed, though, that was not the case. And the people were not, they weren't prepared for what was going to happen. But isn't it true in life we're not prepared for the next season? We can go from sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously to murmuring and complaining. You people over here, I'm going to speak to them over here. They're a little more friendly. But they weren't prepared and they came to what we, we learned to be bitter waters they came to a lake, they were thirsty, they hadn't had water for three days, and when they tried to, the water, it was bitter. They were unprepared, but I want you to understand something right up front. God is never unprepared. God is omniscient. 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 Omni meaning all, shient meaning knowledge. He is all knowing. He sees the end from the beginning. There are no emergencies in heaven. There are no situations in heaven that are beyond heaven's control that angels scratch their head and have a, a staff meeting, have a board meeting and wonder what are they going to do by what's going on on planet earth. There's no situations that God can't solve. The greatest problem of mankind, the greatest issue on planet earth is the sin issue. 
All other maladies, all other problems, all other dilemmas spring from the problem that man is sinful, has a sinful nature, and is in need of a savior. You see, that was man's greatest problem. But even before man sinned, even before man failed and fell in the garden, God already, even before the fall, had a plan. The Bible says in Revelation that from the foundations of the earth, Christ was slain. From the very foundation of the earth, Jesus Christ was already prepared. You see, the cross was not a post creation thought, but a pre-creation. God already had an answer for the man's greatest dilemma, the sin problem, providing salvation for you and I. And if he had a remedy, if he had a plan, if he already had a solution for the greatest problem, how can we not fail? How, how do we fail to understand that he will provide for every other need? Here they are only three days they had just been through one body of water. They already had faced one challenge, but here they are at another. The first challenge was the Red Sea. As they faced the Red Sea, what did they do? They complained. They said to Moses, are there no graves in Egypt? Now they come to another body of water, and they complain, and they say, Pastor Moses, what shall we drink? You see, God wants to deal with a complaining spirit that was going to be spiritually crippling to Israel. And isn't that a problem with us? I heard a few amens, a couple, mm-hmm. Aren't we all guilty? You see, some people want to say, well, that's the way they acted. Uh, the, the finger is pointed at us, too. It's not a Jewish thing, it's a human nature thing. It's not an Israel thing, it's a people thing. We are all guilty. And a complaining spirit greatly limits our ability to become victorious in the circumstances of life. You see, it was crippling. They, were, they had a negative mentality. They, they were always seeing the dark side of things. They were complaining. They were murmuring. And, 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 and they were failing to realize that that was going to limit them. And isn't that true in our life? Pastor Mike, I loved your presentation this morning. You did a great job. And, and I just love the, the positivity. I just love the encouragement. I just love how you just shared that this morning. And we need that in the church. We need that in the leadership. We need that in all of our members. We need that in all people because the tendency of human nature is to look on the dark side or the negative side of things instead of looking on the positive. You see, when we, when we highlight the positive, what does that do? That gives us energy to believe when we're dealing with the negative. That gives us a, a perspective, a change of perspective. But I've learned when I dwell on the negative, what does that do? That drinks, brings me down further and further and further. And so they, here they are. They're murmuring and they're complaining. Look at, verse, look at verse 24. The people murmured against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Look what happened, verse 25. So he cried out to the Lord. What did Moses do? God, let me be a, a leader like Moses. God, let us be people like Moses. He prayed. He cried out to the Lord. You see, others were complaining. Moses 
was praying. I like what Psalm, 80, Psalm 109 verse four says, in return for my love, they are my accusers, but I give myself to prayer. What a, what a shift in perspective. The psalmist is saying, in return for my love, they are my accusers, but I give myself to prayer. What a shift, what a change. He went against the grain, the psalmist. What did Moses do? He went against the grain. He prayed, he called out to the Lord. What did God do? God responded. God showed him a tree. God showed him a tree and says, I want you to cast the tree into the bitter waters and the bitter waters will be made sweet. You see, the Bible doesn't say that the tree made the water sweet. It was the act of faith. Moses' obedience, not the tree, released God's miracle working power. I want to declare to you this morning, actions of faith get the response of the Father. Actions of faith. It's not enough to say you have faith. We must do something with it. There's a woman in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 4 that the prophet Elijah went to and, and here was a widow woman and, and, and she had nothing. She had lost everything. Her husband had passed away and, and she was on the verge of losing her children and everything she had. But she took an action step. She took steps of faith. Elisha said to her, go borrow vessels. What was her first action step? She sent her sons to borrow vessels to make room for a miracle. You know, I remember talking to a pastor and he had been talking to me for a couple of years about acquiring land and building a building and he had told me this over and over again and one day I just felt the, the boldness and I felt the authority of God. I said, you need to do it now. Don't keep talking about it. Don't keep praying about it. You gotta take an action step. And he did, and God began to work, and God began to provide, and God opened the door for him. There is a time when you talk about it, but then there's a time where you have to make room for God to work. This woman, she made room for God to work. The second action step was she closed the door in her house. There's a time when you close the door, there's no performance, there's no impressing anybody, it's just you and God. You close out the door, you, you shut out everything and you say, God, it's me and you and now my prayers are not to impress anybody else. I'm not saying anything to look better in anybody's eyes. It's just me and you, God. The next action step she took, she took the vessels and she began to pour the oil. That was an action step because she only had a small jar and she had many, many large vessels. And the action step of faith was to pour the oil and the supernatural power of God was released. A multitude of empty vessels were filled from one small jar. That's what God will do when we act in faith. You see this tree that God instructed Moses. I believe it was prophetic. I believe there was a tip, uh, typology or symbolism foreshadowing the cross of Calvary. Listen, life is filled with bitter experiences. Life is filled with trials. I was reading a sermon by, by uh, C.H. Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of all time, on this very passage, and, and he was saying that the trials of life will come and go, but they will always, you will always face greater trials, and it's better uh, to not seek other trials just to go through the one you have. 
them say, God, deliver me from this trial. Someone once said, better the devil you know than the devil you don't. Better the trial you know than the one you don't know. Uh, let's, let's, not, let's not look to get, there's a story told, and let me see if I have it here, um, of, yeah, there was a man who, who had been praying, and, 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 and he was begging God for intervention, and, and this is just a, 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 a fable, if you will, it's not in the Bible, in case those of you that don't have your Bible with you. Jesus came to the man and said, my child, what troubles you? The man replied that, his, replied that his life was full of turmoil and that it had become too much to bear. He again asked for help, stating that he had just couldn't continue to go on. Jesus, feeling the man's anguish, decided help was in order. The man was so happy that his prayers were about to be answered that his burden already felt lighter. Jesus took the man to a room and stopped in front of the door. When he opened the door, what the man saw was amazing. The room was filled with crosses, all shapes and sizes. The man, bewildered, looked at Jesus and asked how this could help him. Jesus explained that each cross represented a burden that people carry, all different sizes, small, big, great, giant burdens, and everything in between. At this point, Jesus offered the man the opportunity to choose his burden. The man was so excited that he was finally able to have some control over his life. He looked around the room for just the right cross. After a bit, he pointed to the cross and said, that one, Lord, I want that one. Jesus asked, are you sure, my son? The man quickly replied, oh, yes, Lord, most definitely, yes. Jesus turned to the man and said, my child, you have chosen your own cross. You see, God fits the trial for the person. God knows what you can bear. And sometimes we look at other people and we think they're carrying a bigger one, a smaller one, and we want to compare and wish we had theirs. No, God knows you intimately and individually, and he is testing you in that point. Isn't that what the scriptures say? Look at, look at verse 25, and he tested them there. He tested them there. The importance to understand the test this is a test of the emergency broadcasting system. The broadcasters of your area and voluntary cooperation with the federal, state, and local authorities have developed this system to keep you informed in the event of emergency. If this had been an actual emergency, the attention signal you just heard would have been followed by official emergency information. Now this concludes this test of the emergency broadcasting system. This is a test. Turn to the person next to you to say, this is a test. How many times have we heard that? Some of you could memorize it, or you memorized it. There he tested them. Understand that the devil tempts you to destroy you, but God tests you to refine you or to develop you. You see, bitter waters are in God's program. The great victories we love. You see, the Red Sea was a, a mighty victory, a great victory. But then there were bitter waters. Something we don't like to hear, but bitter waters are in God's program. I'm not saying that all bitter experiences are God's making, but he allows them. Bitter waters, disappointments, 
will happen in our life. Broken relationships, failed businesses, failed investments, ill treatment, children that have gotten off track causing heartache, loss of a job, loss of a ministry, failed health, unfortunate accidents, a pandemic that that is that has affected young and old alike on different levels, not only physically but emotionally and socially. Every person here has has tasted bitter waters. But whatever they are, by God's grace, we need to get through them. Are you open to learn lessons God has for you in your bitter places? I don't want to minimize or make light of it, but disappointment can end up being God's appointment. Oh, I knew you'd all say amen over that one. Disappointments can end up being God's appointments. What can we learn? How can I grow? What can I gain from this? Look at ourselves. We're much like the children of Israel. Praising God one day. Then we end up complaining about the bitter waters the next day. But life is a combination of bitter and sweet. Triumphs and trials. I think that's called life. That's life. That's what the people say. According to one theologian by the name of Frank Sinatra. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. I've been a puppet, a pauper, a pirate, a poet, and a king. I've been up and down and over and out, but I know one thing. Each time I find myself flat on my face, I just pick myself up and I get back in the race. That's life. Let's get back in the race. Amen. Let's learn the lessons that God has for us. How many of you still with me? You see, we learn through these tough times and God uses bitter waters as an x-ray to reveal our hearts, to reveal who we really are. I don't learn too much about myself. I don't learn too much about people when things are going good. But we learn a lot about ourselves and about others when they're facing bitter waters. You think you know somebody? Let them go through a fiery trial. See a different side. You see, these experiences help us to see ourselves and provide an opportunity to help us develop into what God wants us to be. Let me say something to you. I think we're going to have it on the screen. It's not so important what we get that we get out of some difficulties as much as what we get out of them. It's not so important that we get out of our difficulties as much as what we get out of them. You see, God tests us not for us to fail, but for us to succeed. God is setting us up for success. God was setting Israel up what? For the promised land. He was setting them up for the promised land. But they had to go through a Red Sea. They had to face bitter waters. They had, God was testing them in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He said, I proved you, I tested you to see what was in your heart. 
You see, God applies the fiery trial to uh, the metal, to the gold in our life so that it could be purified, so that it could be refined. You see, no test, no testimony. No battle, no victory. No trial, we're weak, we're anemic, we're spiritual weaklings. Tests become a powerful weapon against our enemy. The test of our faith is really the place of our transformation. The water waters can change, especially when we come to this time in our service communion. That tree that Moses was instructed to cast into those bitter waters, it was symbolic. It was really pointing to the cross. It was pointing to another tree. 1 Peter chapter 2, who himself bore our sins on his own body, on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. Christ wants to heal the bitter waters in our life. I want you to close your eyes right now. Can you see in your mind's eye in the story, Exodus 15, of those bitter waters. The people are thirsty. The people haven't drank water in three days. Can you, in your mind's eye, see Moses taking the tree that God pointed out to him and told him to cast into the waters? Now by faith, I want, to, I want you to see yourself taking the truth of the cross and applying it to your life. I want you to see what I just read, who himself bore our sins on his own body on the tree. That we who died to sins might live to righteousness by whose stripes the bitter waters are healed. You see, the bitter experience represents, or the bitter waters represent in our life those difficult places, those places of heartache and of pain and of suffering that we all face and all deal with. But the cross represents God's love, his mercy, and his grace. Can we cast the cross into the bitter waters? Can we understand that the power of the cross can break the dominating hold that bitterness has over us? Can we see and comprehend the grace that God demonstrates at the cross as we cast that cross into the sea of our pain? Would you stand together with me this morning? I want you to take that cup. I want you just, we're, not, we're going to partake in a moment, but if you would just prepare it. conclusion I want to say that bitter waters are a part of God's program God led them to the bitter waters they're part of God's program not the part we particularly like but life teaches us that there are bitter waters but God has a purpose for them bitter waters are not the end turn to the person next to you say it's not the end just like, the, just like in the New Testament when the disciples were in the boat and a storm came 
A storm that was so severe that trained, skilled, experienced fishermen who had been on that lake hundreds, maybe thousands of times, it was so severe that they, told, they woke Jesus and said, Master, don't you care that we're going to perish? Have you ever said that to God? Have you ever in your bitter waters, in your storm of life said, God, don't you care that I'm going to perish? I might not make it through. But you know what? That storm wasn't the end. They were told they were going to go to the other side. Your bitter waters are not the end. My bitter waters, our storms are not the end. We've been told we're going to the other side. And the cross of Calvary, the, most, the greatest weapon in all of life, the hell itself could not stop, could not come against the power of the cross and the power of the blood. Let the devil do all he wants to do. In the end, the cross will turn bitter waters sweet. So bitter waters are God, a part of God's plan. Secondly, let God deal with any defects in your character that are exposed by the bitter waters. Turn to the person next to you. Say, he's not talking to me, he's talking to you. <laughs> they complained when they should have prayed, God forgive us. If you're quick to complain or if you're easily offended, or you're often taking things personally, you know what, the devil will have a party with you. Because any time he wants to disrupt you, he'll just let somebody say something you don't like, or pastor preaches a message and you think he was talking about you, and he was, he was talking about all of you. You know, we, we forget the things we should remember. We remember the things we should forget. Someone stepped on your toes five years ago. God has done for you the last five years. See, let God work. You see, God led them there to the bitter waters to expo expose their complaining spirit. Let's deal with it. You see, God reveals things so we can deal with it. I just read this somewhere. The blood only covers what we uncover. Turn to the person next to you and say, that's a revelation. The blood only covers what we uncover. What do I mean by that? The blood will cover only what we reveal to God and, and, and confess to God and acknowledge before God. If you keep it covered, the blood can't cover it. Because God only forgives sins we confess. Amen. Turn to the person next to you. Say, now I know he's talking about you. <laughs> the last thought. <laughs> By faith, the cross releases the grace of God into our bitter waters. And don't we all have bitter waters? Amen. I don't think there's one person, even young people, I've, I've learned and through this pandemic, the last couple of years, even, even children have, have faced some emotional trauma. Yes. Teenagers, just painful experiences. This has been a difficult time. But you know what? No matter how bitter the waters are, the cross can still Amen. make a difference. Amen. It still makes a difference. And there's grace this morning for you and me. I'm grateful for that because I need grace. What is grace? It's something we don't deserve. Amen? <laughs> so that's a good thing. So we all, we're all recipients. Amen? So let's, 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 
let's take the, that tree and just cast it into the bitter waters. Would you take this way for this emblem that represents the broken body of Jesus? Jesus told his disciples, he said, this is my body. This symbolizes my body, which is broken for you. I want you to remember me. Remember what I did for you. Remember that I love you. Remember that this is my grace to you. So let's remember Jesus right now. This cup is for you. This cup is for me. This cup represents his precious, precious blood. The blood that reaches to the highest mountain, the blood that flows to the lowest valley. It's the blood. It's the blood that gives me strength from day to day. And it will never, ever lose its power. Even in heaven. Even in heaven. Think about this. I don't know many worship songs that are going to be in heaven that have been written, but one that we know that's going to say, Thou art worthy, for thou wast slain and you shed your blood. They're going to be singing about the blood in heaven. Amen. Let's be grateful. Let's receive the grace of God in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to ask Tara, if you would just come back, please. Thank you, Lord. I don't want to just pass this moment by without us bowing our hearts in prayer one more time. We thank God for the blood. We thank God for the cross. By his stripes, we are healed. But the greatest healing that must take place is for a sin-sick soul to be made right in the eyes of God. And I don't know, maybe there's someone here this morning, someone watching on live stream, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sins. You've never repented. You've never put your faith in Christ, in Christ alone. I want to give you this opportunity just to ask you right now, if you just bow your heads, I just want this to be a, a personal moment right now. And just ask if, if you need to give your life to Jesus. If you need to surrender to Christ, the Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. If that's you, would you just quickly raise your hand that I might see it, that I might pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone here today just want to commit your life to Jesus Christ? Just Come to faith in him today. Maybe you come to church. Maybe you've been in church for many years and you've never surrendered. Maybe this is your moment right now where you come to the tree, come to the cross of Calvary. Acknowledge your sins. Ask God to forgive you. His grace is amazing. His love is unconditional. But God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a God. What a what an amazing grace. For those of you that raised your hand, just want you to pray and ask Jesus to forgive you right now in, the, in this moment. Say, God, I'm a sinner. I need your grace. God, I repent of my sin. Just say it in your own words. God, I, I turn to you. I, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I believe that Jesus died for me. I love you, God, and I worship you this morning. I want to commit my life to you.
I want to trust you with my past, my present, and my future. See, Jesus is not only a Savior, he's a Lord. That means he's the one who's in charge and, and he wants to change your life and, and he's, he'll do a greater job, a great job than you, than you could even ever imagine at controlling your life. I know when I've controlled my life, I've messed it up, but when I've let God have his way, he's blessed me. He's done great things. So surrender him today. Maybe some of you have made Jesus your Savior, but never your Lord. Really, you can't have him as one and not the other. Today, surrender to him. God, God, I commit my life to you. I commit my, my finances, my, my career, my family, my future to you. Lord, I truly want to be your disciple. I want to be fully devoted to you today. This morning, I just want to ask one more time. I want to pray. I just feel that not to pass up this moment. The presence of the Lord is here. We had such a wonderful worship time. But if there's some of you still, I want to ask pastors and elders, if you would just pray, just come forward. I want you to pray. If there's some of you here, <coughs> excuse me, if you're suffering with bitterness, just want you to move out of your seat right now. bitter experiences, bitter waters, and you need prayer, you need God's grace, just quickly move out of your seat. I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Come on, I, want, I don't want to miss this opportunity. I think that there's many things that have been exposed in our life and God is using the bitter waters to bring you to a greater place, but you have to acknowledge that. You have to deal with it before God. Come on, just move out of your seat. Just want to take a few moments to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If we can just have someone pray right here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. I know so many people in churches deal with bitterness. See, the bitter waters we let get in our heart and in our spirit, and that's, where the pro that's the problem. Just want you to take this moment. The Holy Spirit wants to touch you. Maybe it takes some humility. Maybe there's some pride that keeps people from coming forward. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, God wants to take the bitter waters and make them sweet. A sermon could be good, but unless we make that connection with God and prayer, sometimes the message can just replace last week's and we move on. 
The Holy Spirit wants to touch you today. Come on, God wants to release you from some bitterness. Come on, some, some even bitterness that's turned into hatred towards people. Bitterness that's turned into envy and, and, and pride. And Come on, God wants to release you, but you've got to step forward. You've got to acknowledge it. Come on, the blood will only cover what you uncover this morning. Come on, the Holy Spirit wants to touch you today. God wants to work in you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, God wants to release some of you. Oh, but you're going to stay bound if you don't move out. You're going to stay bound if you don't receive the grace of God this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, touch people right now. Holy Spirit, touch people right now. Holy Spirit, set people free. God, free from pride. Set people free from pride that would hinder them from receiving the grace of God. For God, you resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. God, I pray for a spirit of humility. I pray for a spirit of brokenness to come over your people in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Release people right now. Right in your seat, begin to pray. Begin to pray right now. The anointing of the Holy Ghost, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, setting people free right now. Free in the name of Jesus. Setting people free right now. Holy Spirit, heal hearts. Bitterness, bitterness broken off in Jesus' name. The bitterness, the bitterness broken off in Jesus' name. Lord, set free in Jesus' name. The truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we're going beyond religiosity, going beyond churchianity. In the name of Jesus, the truth, the truth setting free. God, touch people right now, Lord. Release people in their, in their seats, in their hearts, in their minds. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, in the next few moments, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, work. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit of God, right now release people from bitterness, unforgiveness. Release people in the name of Jesus. Oh God, oh God, what you're revealing, let us deal with. Help us in our hearts and our minds, oh God. Change us, oh God. Change us, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. At the cross, my death.